0: Pastor Tony and Pastor Frank did such a great job on the words that we've been studying. We're going to continue on in that same vein. Um, One of the things that, um, that I, when I found out what I was going to be preaching on this Advent season, I thought of how much I love that song that we sung before, He's a Good, Good Father, you know, and how great that song is. And I have to kind of emotionally disconnect myself from it because if I start singing it the way I would normally sing it, I'll be crying, I'll be wailing, and it'll be bad for preaching. My nose will run, my eyes will swell up. I'll look like I've been to a funeral. You know, it's not a good thing. So uh, I kind of disconnected myself from, it, but it was really hard because I'm standing next to my daughter who has a beautiful voice, and she's singing. I'm like, I'm trying to disconnect from this, and I'm hearing my daughter sing. So it was really difficult to do. I know that, but I love the song. And another one that says uh, um, th- that's um, his song about um, he is good to me. That song too. If I hear that one, I'm going. That's it. I'm, it's all over. Um, but the thing that I love about this song is the fact that he's a good, good father. But the thing is, to me, good, good doesn't quite cut it. It doesn't quite cut it. I think it should say perfect, perfect father. Because to be, to, you know, unlike our human fathers, our human fathers were not perfect. Okay? And anyone could be good. Anyone could be good, right? I could be good at basketball if I was two feet taller and not blind in one eye, Right? But I'm not, you know, I could be good. But good is a, a pretty low standard just to be good at something. It's really to be perfect is an impossible standard. It's a much higher standard. But it made me start to think about this verse in Hebrews because I studied Hebrews a while back and I, this kind of jumped out at me. Hebrews twelve nine, okay? And where it says, moreover, we have all had human fathers, and indeed we do or we wouldn't be here, um, who disciplined us and we respected them for it. How much more should we submit to our Father of Spirits and live? How much more should we submit to them? They disciplined us for a little while, as they thought best. But God disciplines us for our good, in order that we may share in his holiness. No discipline seems pleasant at the time, right? Amen to that. It doesn't feel fun, but, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. So it's a process, Now there are a few things we can learn from this in comparing our earthly father to our everlasting father, right? Our earthly fathers, like I said before, were imperfect. They were fallen human beings, okay? Now I've had two fathers. I've had two fathers. My first father, he wasn't so good. He was not good and I only stayed with him 10 years of my life and then I was removed from that situation and put into a different one. Um, But my second father was a lot better. He was a lot better. And And when I got saved, I had trouble trying to figure this out this everlasting father that's so perfect and so good and so holy it doesn't match anything I have in my database you know I couldn't understand it and I think a lot of people suffer with that because we you know all come from imperfect people imperfect fathers and so there's a measure of dysfunctionality there but to have a perfect father I couldn't picture that I couldn't conceive that so First of all, what does everlasting mean? So before we go on with this, what does everlasting mean, right? He's everlasting father. What does everlasting mean? Well, according to the English language dictionary, everlasting means lasting forever, lasting for a very long time. Sort of like the Energizer bunny on steroids, right? Big time, over the top. When the verse says they disciplined us and we respected them for it, right? And we respected them for it. I found that not to be true of my first father. Uh, I kind of think he enjoyed it. Um, he would have a bad day at work, and he would come home and take it out on me. I guess because we didn't have a dog. You know, they say if, you know, you go home, and kick the dog. Because the dog is the lowest, you know, we have a cat, so it's kind of below that. But it's like, it, it's like a dog. And, and, and he would come home, and it was bad mood, whatever, and he'd take it out on me. And I, I kind of think he liked it. And I never, I never respected him. I mean, I forgave him later on in life. I got saved at 18, and I got to re-meet him and and, and get to know him a little bit better, and I forgave him, but I never respected him as a father. My second father was much better, much, much better, way better. Um, His disciplines were measured and wise. He was a very disciplined and wise person. Like one time, like one time, uh, (laughs) um, I'm loading wood in the basement. We lived on a farm in Pennsylvania, and we used to load all this wood into the basement to burn all winter long to keep the house warm. So we were stacking it in ceiling to wall, wall to ceiling, and you really had to stack it in really good. And my sister was in the chain gang with me, you know, down the stairs passing the logs from, you know, one to the other. And she kept dropping them, and she was kind of slow and just complaining about the whole process, you know, whatever. And I just said, I just turned her around. She turned around, and she's crying, and I just, woof, I just wailed her right in the gut. I mean, at 11 years old, that's you know, the way you treat your sisters. You don't realize that that's not right. So my father heard about this. She ran and told my father. Well, my father found this out. What he did was, he said, okay, um, what we're going to do is you're going to go out in the woods, and you are going to find a stick, a switch, okay, and I want you to take all the bark off of it with your pocket knife, take all the bark, all the leaves, take it all off, and I want you to do that. I want you to take it all off, and then I'm going to beat you with that." and I'm thinking, wow, this is not going to be good. I mean, I've gotten the belt a few dozen times, but this this is going to be a, a notch up higher. Um, this is like caning. It's a little bit, it's pretty bad. So I'm like going through the woods crying like a baby, m- snot running down my nose, you know. that's <laughs> a stick, it's so terrible, you know, and I'm going to get beat with this and I better make sure, and he told me, you better make sure it lasts beyond the first two strikes, or I'm going to go get one, and then that'll be a branch, you know, and I'll get busted up for good with that one. So, I'm, so I peeled it all off, crying the whole time, you know, and I, I I bring it to him, and I give it to him. I'm like, I'm all ready for, how am I gonna get this? And so what he does is he breaks it over his knee, and he doesn't use it on me. And he says, "We men don't hit women. You don't hit women. You don't raise your hand to a woman. And I was like, wow. I respected him for that. I respected him for that. I took that in. I knew what that meant. I never did that. Those two men did what they thought was best, Because they were imperfect, their parenting and discipline was imperfect as well. But our everlasting father is not like that. Nope, he is not like that. Psalm 1830 says, as for God, his way is perfect. The Lord's word is flawless. He shields all who take refuge in him. His way is perfect. Unlike our earthly fathers, his way is perfect. Now when God disciplines us, when he disciplines us, it's always redemptive. It's never punitive. It's always redemptive. It's never punitive. He never punishes us because that's on the cross, right? He never punishes us. No, he, it's redemptive. It's to bring us back. There's either a blessing or a lesson in it for us, one or the other, okay, in us. Sometimes, sometimes it may seem a little harsh and unloving, but that's just our perception of it. That's just the way we see it. It's not true. It's like when you're in the dentist chair and he's like drilling away at you. you know? It hurts, man. I'm like, I hate that. You know, keep your mouth open all this time. He's drilling you. If the Novocaine wears off, it hurts even more. And, but, yet, but yet, he's doing it for your good and ultimately for your benefit. So it's the same thing with God. It's the same thing with God. It's always redemptive. It's never punitive. Because God is everlasting, he knows what's best for us. He knows what it's gonna take to make us like his son. And we should learn from every single experience he gives us. Every time we learn, we get something like that, like I said, it's either a blessing or a blessing in it for us somewhere along the line. And we just have to look for it. And then when the verse says, for those who have been trained by it, right, for those who've been trained by it, I think of like a personal trainer, Like, let's say I want to run in a marathon, not something I'm prepared to do ever, probably for the rest of my life, but like, I would expect that personal trainer to be up in my face, right? To be making me work out and stuff like that. When I want to sit on the couch and watch Star Trek episodes for the 50th time and eat potato chips, I expect him to call me and go, no, you're supposed to be out running. You're supposed to be out working out. You're not supposed to be eating fattening food like that. You should be working out. That's what a personal trainer does, right? He's gonna get you off your duff and make you do what's right for you, what you need to accomplish what you're gonna do. And our Heavenly Father is almost the same way. He loves us, okay, he loves us, but he loves us too much to leave us where we start. He loves us too much to leave us that way. He loves us the way we are, but he, doesn't, he loves us enough not to leave us that way. The other reason for God's discipline, because there's always another one, God's discipline as opposed to our earthly fathers was the outcome. Well, what is the outcome? What is the outcome? When our everlasting Father is trying to, what is he trying to accomplish in us? What is he trying to teach us? It's right there in the verse that we just looked at. One, so we may share in his holiness. There's three things. One, so we may share in his holiness. Because we don't have any of our own. We don't. We don't have any holiness of our own. All of us have become like one who is unclean. Isaiah 64 6. All of us become like one is the one clean and all of our righteous acts, all of them, every single thing you think is good is still a filthy rag, right? Our filthy rags, we all shrivel up like a leaf and are like the wind, our sins sweep us away, okay? So even our best doesn't cut it and then in Romans 3.10 backs this up. There is no one righteous, not even one. Not one person does it 100% of the time. There are no perfect people. Two, to give us righteousness. Why, because we don't have any, right? Romans 3.12 says, but now, apart from the law, in other words, apart from the Ten Commandments, apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been made known. In other words, we didn't know it before, now we know it, to which the law and the prophets testify. Okay, so there's a, now we have this new righteousness that comes to us, it's imputed to us. That's the religious word they like to use. When it comes to righteousness, we're just as bad off as we are with holiness. We're still coming up short, right? So what is the difference? So what is the difference between righteousness and holiness? Righteousness is the condition of being proven or declared morally excellent. Not something we can do. While holiness, on the other hand, is the condition of being consecrated or dedicated to moral excellence. Does that seem like the human condition? No, no, it's not. The third thing it gives us, to give us peace. To give us peace, I talked about this last Christmas. To give us peace, Philippians 4, 6 through 7 says, do not be anxious about anything. I'm anxious all the time. I was anxious all morning. When I came in this morning, my notes that I left on the chair yesterday <laughs> weren't there. And I'm talking about anxious. I'm searching all over the place. I could probably do it from memory, but I don't want to do that. And I'm running all over the building looking for it, and I finally found it. But it was like, anxious? It's, no, I don't like to be anxious. But it says, do not be anxious about anything. But in every situation, I'm still shaking. But, but by every situation, in every situation, by prayer and petition, that's what I was doing, a lot of praying, where is this? I got to find this. And thanksgiving present your request known to God and he and the peace of God which transcends by the way that means is above and beyond our understanding will give us peace. All of a sudden, Guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus, okay? Now peace not only within ourselves which is really nice it's, it's hard to get that it's hard to have peace especially at this time of year everything's rah, rah, rah gotta get to the end of the year kind of thing so peace with him as well as peace with God. Before we met Jesus we were enemies of God We were at war with him. There was a technical state of war between God and man. Now there is peace between God and mankind for all who fall on their knees before the everlasting father. The other great thing about the everlasting father, the other great thing about our everlasting father is the everlasting part, the everlasting part, right? No matter what happens, he never dies, he never goes away. Again, no matter how good or bad our earthly fathers were or were not, right, our fathers all die. They all leave us. That's the downside of being human. They all die. They all leave us. My first father, when he died, I was kind of obtuse about the whole thing. I didn't really have an emotional connection to him, so it was really just, I was just there. I didn't really shed a tear. I mean, I re-met him when I was 18, and we reconstitute our relationship as much as we could at that point in life, but I didn't cry. I really wasn't upset, But when my second father died, that was really painful. I really missed him. I really missed having him in my life. I really, uh, you know, sometimes it hurts a lot and some people not so much, so I've kind of sampled both of them. There are many times I wish my second father was still around. When I first got married, you know, there were times I would love to have called him up and said, Hey, dad, you know, this is what's going on. You know, what do you think? You know, and he could give me a second opinion or give me some, uh, a different perspective on the situation. I always thought it would be so nice to have him around for that. And then I wish he could meet my beautiful wife and my wonderful daughter and my awesome son, right? See what God has blessed me with. And then I would love to have him see, walk in the church and meet all the great people I know and what God's doing here and how I'm getting to play a part in that. I mean, I would love to have experienced all that with him, but he's not here. And when I first started my path toward becoming a preacher, um, I used to preach and they would have tapes, right? Remember tapes? Little cassette tapes. That's how far back this goes. And so um, I would, because I was the guy who made the copy, you'd order a tape and I'd make a copy in the machine. Well, I'd make an extra copy for him and I'd mail it all the way down to Florida. And then he would listen to it. And then he would call me and we would discuss theology. He would try to tweak my sermons. He'd say, oh, you should have said it this way. Remember that in Pennsylvania, you could tell that story. He was really a, a, a big help to me in that area. And I really missed those conversations. When things would happen, I'd be like, man, I wish I could call my father. You know, how many times I wish I could call my father and just kind of talk to him, but he's gone. But our everlasting father, now let's talk about our everlasting father. One, he will never leave you nor forsake you, right? Hebrews 13, five says that. He will never give up on you, never give up on you. He who began a good work in you will carry it on to the completion until the day of Jesus Christ. He will never give up on you. He'll never say, oh, I'm done with you. He'll never say that. Three, never put you in a bad position with no escape. I hate when people put me in a spot where I have to tell the truth because I'm a truth teller, because that's what you are, and, and they'll say, well, you know, does this dress make me look fat? I'm like, ooh. <laughs> um, well... Well, um, it's not the right color. It's not the right pattern. I've come up with cute ways of getting around that, but my wife's not fat anyway. But just, I hate when people put me in a spot like that where I I have to tell the truth. It's like, you know, I hate that. Uh, But anyway, so anyway, where was I? Uh, Never put us in a position of no escape. No temptation has overtaken you except what is common to mankind. In other words, it's what we all deal with. And God is faithful. Thank God he's faithful, because sometimes we're not. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will provide a way out so that you can endure it. I always look for the exit. Whenever there's something sinful happening, a possibility of something sinful happening, I start looking for the exit. He promised it's gonna be there, I just gotta find it. And you, it's right there, I just gotta find it and, and exercise that, that discipline and get out of there. Um, the f- fifth thing, never disciplines us for no reason. Hebrews 12.10 says that, we already read that. God disciplines us for our good. There's either a lesson or a blessing in it, Right? never lie to you never lie to you numbers twenty-three, nineteen says god is not human that he should lie not human not a human being that he should change his mind does he speak and then not act does he promise and not fulfill he never makes mistakes i used to think i was a mistake i mean i was like one of seven children and i used to think i was a mistake i carried that around for a long time and then when i came to know christ i said wait a minute no I'm here for a reason. He's got a purpose and a plan for me. No, there's not a mistake. He doesn't make junk, right? What does it say in Matthew 5.48? Be perfect. Therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. My heavenly Father is perfect. He doesn't make junk, right? Now, in the story of the prodigal son, which we're gonna take a look at, we see a perfect picture of the Father heart of God or our everlasting Father. And in all things, you're gonna see there that I listed above, all those things are in this piece of scripture okay and let's see how it plays out let's see how our heavenly father our everlasting father treats his wayward children let's look in 1511 uh, Luke 1511 then Jesus said there there was a man who had two sons the younger son said to him father father give me my share of the estate So he divided his property between them. Now he was being very rude and very callous and very cold. He was kind of didn't want to wait until his father died to get what was rightfully his. It's sort of like almost wishing his father dead. You know that's pretty rough. That's pretty rude. But that's what he did. He wanted his stuff now, not wait till you're dead. I want it now. A few days after, a few days, the youngest son got everything together and he journeyed to a distant country where he squandered his wealth in wild living. We do the same thing with God. God gives us talents and abilities, and we waste them on, and we squander them on the lost world around us instead of investing them in the kingdom of God, right? After he had spent all he had, in other words, now this guy's completely broke, He ran out of money, it's all gone. He's, a severe famine swept the land to kind of double down on the whole situation through, through that country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of the country who sent him out to feed the pigs, Uh, Pigs are disgusting creatures They're disgusting But they taste good So whatever Um, God brings discipline To cause a change of direction Right God brings discipline To cause a change of direction And bring about repentance Right That's the ultimate goal To bring about repentance He allows us to feel The emptiness of our condition So that we find our way back to him how many times has God used adversity and trouble to get your attention or get my attention? How many times has things thing gone completely sideways and all of a sudden, we forsook the Lord? That's how we got here, right? Just like the, just like the, the children of God in the, you know, in the desert. They're like, oh, we forsook the Lord. That's how we got in this mess. Well, we all come to that same spot. He longed to fill his belly with the pods the pigs were eating, but no one would give him anything. Our loving heavenly Father allows us to feel starvation, so discover that we're just starving for Him. Have you ever been starving for Him? I mean, there's sometimes like things get really busy, and I don't get into the Word, and then I find myself I'm like, man, I'm getting really anxious and really antsy, and I go, wait, I haven't I haven't looked at the Bible in like two days. Man, I got to get back in there, and then it drives me back to Him. Right? That's it makes us starving for Him. I know this worked on me during my desert experience. I had an experience after I got saved a couple years where I wasn't going to church and I wasn't living for God, and God allowed. me me to realize that I was missing his input into my life, and I was making a wreck of it. And so, once I was like, "Oh, okay, I'm going to go back to God." That's exactly what I did, and it allowed me to feel that hunger for him and his word. Finally, he came to his senses and said, "How many of my father's hired servants have plenty of food, but I'm here and I'm starving to death?" <laughs> yeah, the light bulb comes on. Bleep! The light bulb comes on. A great idea. God the Holy Spirit draws us to repent we learn that we have this hole in our heart that only he can fill and we turn to him the light bulb comes on and says ah we we forsook the Lord that's how we got in this mess and he says he gets the idea oh I'll get up and go back to my father and say to him father I have sinned against heaven and against you I've sinned against heaven and I've sinned against you now, every, being has, every human being has to get to this spot in order to get into the kingdom. Every human being has to hit this spot in the road. Just like the, the, the blind guy from John 9, right? The blind guy from John 9, um, Jesus encounters him. He's blind. He puts mud on his eyes. I like that Jesus never like, got carpent- compartmentalized, you know, where he did things all the same way. I mean, One guy, he did mud. The other guy, he put it in his ears, all this kind of stuff. He always did that so that it wouldn't be like a format, okay? So he puts mud in his eyes, and the guy can see, so the Sanhedrin drag him in and ask him, hey, how did this happen? How did you get healed? And he says, ah, the man Jesus, he put mud in my eyes and I see. Okay, it was pretty simple, that's it, you know? And so they kind of kick him out of the room and then they talk a little bit and they bring him back in. And then they say, okay, all right, well, how did you get healed? It's like, well, I already told you. And then he goes on to say he calls Jesus a prophet. He goes, so he went from being just a man to being a prophet. And then when they finally kick this guy out of the temple, he's not allowed back in for whatever reason, they kick him out and what does he do? He meets Jesus outside the temple and Jesus says to him, you know, starts talking to him and he calls Jesus Lord. Now, everybody has to get to that point. Everybody has to make that travel. They have to travel that road. And he has to go from Jesus the man, right? Jesus was just a man. There are plenty of people who would argue, nope, he's just a man. He's just a man. Yeah, he's a historical figure. Yes, he existed, but he wasn't anything special. He was just a man. He had a couple of good ideas, and you know, they put him in with Muhammad and all these other guys, okay? And yet, no, he's more than that. And then you have the Jewish people who think he's a prophet. Some Jews believe he was a prophet. So, But they stop there, and that's the problem. You need to go from being man, prophet, to Lord, right? And you're either going to announce that on this side of eternity or on the other side of eternity, right? Either on this side of eternity or on the other side, every knee will bow and declare that Jesus is Lord. Every single one will. And then the son goes on. I will no longer be worthy to be called your son. I am no longer be worthy to call your son. Make me one of your hired servants. In other words, just give me a plot to sleep in. I'll serve you, I'll work. We must see ourselves for who we really are we can't deceive ourselves if we think we're better than we are we think we don't need a savior we don't need anybody to bail us out we don't need it then we're never going to get to that point where we embrace him as a savior because in order for us to find out that he's savior we have to find out we need to be saved right we have to get to that point so he knows anyway it's not like it's a surprise to him that you you lie you cheat you do those things he, he's not surprised by that he knows all those things about us so what did he do next he, so he got up and went to his father's and now he's making this journey but while he was still in the distance, right? Far off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion. That's the father heart of God, compassion. He ran to his son and embraced him and kissed him, right? He ran to him and he embraced him and he kissed him. I think of that picture. I've seen it a couple of times. I'm sure you have too, where the, the guy is standing there in ripped jeans and the torn shirt and Jesus is embracing him. That, that, that is just, a, every time I see that picture, it warms my heart that someday I'm going to get that. I'm going to get that embrace. But that's the father heart of God. He wants to do that, right? He came to his senses and said, how many of my fathers? Oh, my goodness, I got lost. Okay, we did that, that, that. Okay, sorry about that. Um, See, I'm trying to to slow down a little bit. Um, God is still seeking and saving the lost. God is still in the business of seeking and saving the lost. He still does this. This is what he's all about, is saving the lost. Um, Last Christmas, about this time, um, I asked, and I have permission from Nicholas to share this, um, I asked Nicholas to take the ornaments off the tree. Mind you, not put them on the tree, take them off the tree and just throw them into a bag. And somehow this turned into a big thing and it got. Uh, we were arguing and, and he says he's gonna run away. Now he said this before and he didn't do it, but this time he... Was wearing a black tracksuit. It's like 32 degrees outside. It's kind of cold and raining, and so he goes out to the mailbox. And I'm like, "This is further than he's ever gone before," and I'm like, "Okay." And I told him, "I says the minute you're out of my sight, I'm calling the cops," because that's just the way it's got to happen, and you got to stick to your guns. So he's at the mailbox. He goes this way towards 25, towards uh, middle country, you know, uh, Lower Rocky Point Road. So I walk out to the curb and I see him round the corner and he's running. Now you got to understand, Nick can run a long distance he's running marathons not marathons you know like 26 mile things he's running like 10 5ks stuff like that so he could literally run for a long time so the minute he makes the corner all of a sudden i'm like what am i doing what what kind of insanity is this i I should be dragging him but i at that point it was already it was over and i started thinking of all the terrible things that could happen you know that he could get hit by a car He could be picked up by strangers. He could do anything, could happen, you know? And all these things start running through my mind. It's like, oh my goodness. So I went back into the house. We called the police and we told them that, you know, he's on the run, whatever. And um, so me and Rachel decide, well, where's he going to go? And they say, well, where would he go? And I said, well, grandma's house is the only place he knows how to get to. So we start driving to grandma's house. So we go to grandma's house and we wait there. And we're looking around. And we're waiting for him. But he doesn't show up there. And so the police, not the police, my wife calls me and says the police brought him back. It was like an hour. But it was the longest hour of my life. Oh, my goodness. Other than holding Rachel down for the stitches in her nose, it was like the longest night of my life. And it was like, oh, my goodness. So I walk in the door. And I see the police cars out front. And I walk in the door. And he's sitting there. And the police officers talking to him. And I was just so overjoyed and so, like, <sighs> you know, like drained from this whole emotional experience. And, And that's what, that's what God feels, right? That's how he feels. And, he, and, he, and I completely forgot what brought about the departure. I had to think about it later. Why did this happen? How did this happen? You know, because it was such a, such a traumatic thing to have my son that was lost and is now returned. I, I could literally put my name in this, in this event and feel this, okay? And the son declared, going on, the, father, the son declared, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. In other words, he's repenting here, okay? Nicholas did this, by the way. He was sorry he did this. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son, So true, so true is that. And you know what? We're not worthy. We would never be worthy. There's nothing we can do to make ourselves worthy. The only way that fixes that problem is the cross. Jesus makes us worthy to stand before our everlasting Father. Other than that, we have no righteousness of our own, as I already stated. But the Father said to his servants. Now, this is the father heart of God again. But the Father said to the servants, quick. Not like, oh, wait, wait, whoa, 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 whoa. Before we do anything, we're going to set some ground rules here. We're gonna set it up that, wait a minute, you're not doing this again, okay? Well, well Don't get the ring, don't get, no, 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 don't get any of that stuff. Wait, let's talk, let's, no, no, what does the father do? No, the father says, quick, quick, bring the ro- best robe, the best robe, not one that was just kind of left in the laundry pile, no, the best one, and put it on him. Put the ring on his finger and the sandals on his feet, Okay? The father instantly reconstitutes the relationship. Instantly. Not laws, not rules. Instantly puts the relationship back in order. Right? Oh, no. Oh, for this. <laughs> oh, I gotta get an F on this one. Um, Oh, where am I? Uh, but the father, quick, bring the best robe. See, I get so emotional on this stuff. The father instantly reconstitutes a relationship that was lost. The robe and the ring and the sandals all scream of acceptance, as if he never left. That's what we call justification, just as if you've never sinned, just as if you never sinned, okay? He, like, forgets about it, right? No, we talked about it. Uh, he throws our sins as far as the east is from the west and remembers them no more, Right? Then what does he say next? Bring the fatted calf. All good, except if you're the fatted calf. Bring the fatted calf and kill it, lest us feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is now alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. Again, this is the father heart of God. He's everlasting, so his forgiveness is everlasting. It goes on and on and on, it never ends. His mercies are new every morning. Why? Because we wear them out every day. You know, at the end of the day, I'm done. I'm spent. I'm like, the tank is empty, right? He's got to refill it again. Same thing. Now, (laughs) oh boy. Um, I've met some really great fathers in my lifetime. Some of them in this church, some really great fathers. I won't mention them because I'd leave somebody out and that would get awkward. Um, And I've met some really great fathers. But you know what? I think, and I agree, and I feel for myself Most fathers, if they're good fathers, I mean, if I pulled up in front of my house at the end of a workday, you know, I drive a company truck, I pull up in front of my house, I look at my front door, the light's on, hopefully the door's open, stuff like that. You know, and dinner's on, and I get to smell of that, walk in and eat. That's my usual day. But if I drove up and my house was on fire, it was flames shooting out of every window, and I saw my wife and my daughter standing on the side of the road, I'd say, where's Nick? I'd say, he's still in there. Without hesitation, I'd run in that building and save my son. Without hesitation, my daughter, my wife, not the cat so much, but I would definitely go in there and, and rescue any of my children, any of my children, because that's the father heart of God. His job is to seek and save the lost, right? And basically, basically now, I know Judge Judy doesn't like basically, but basically, um, what God did was sent Jesus through the fire of human existence. He let him be born. And then the death on the cross, right? His, he, to rescue his children, to rescue his children. Those who follow him out of the fire, will be saved, those who do not will be lost. Now, maybe you've never seen your everlasting father like this. Maybe you've never um, seen such a great father. It's behind your comprehension. Maybe you, you think about this wonderful father that we're talking about, you say, I have no data to back that up. I have no, nothing in my database that explains that to me. I, I can't relate to that. My father was mean or my father was this. Again, they're all imperfect because they're fallen human beings, okay? Um, but there's, that's one thing to look at your earthly father and think, how could this be? There's no comparison between our everlasting father and our human father. One was fallen, the other is perfect, right? One is flawed by sin, the other is perfect. Your everlasting father is not some ogre looking to drop the hammer on you. I used to think that God was all about punishing me and whacking me for whatever. You do something wrong, boom, you get that. Because that's what I was raised to have, that's what I experienced, so that's not, the father heart of God that's not our everlasting father no he's gracious and full of compassion his word says in John 1 12 yet to all who did receive him in other words everyone who comes to him to those who believed in his name that's the qualification he gave the right to become children of God he gave us the right to become his child and in that he means that he is going to save you from the fire right God is like the father in the heavenly story he's looking for his children to come home The minute you take a step towards him, he comes running to you to meet you. Just turn around and start heading in the other direction. That's exactly what the word repent means. It means turn around and head in the other direction, right? So head in the other direction. Make today, make today or this Christmas season the time you get to experience your everlasting father. If you haven't experienced him or if this father that we're talking about is alien to you, you've never experienced him, Seek one of the pastors or the elders out or even just about anybody, one of the deacons, they're all qualified to do this, right? Seek them out and ask them about it and they would love to introduce you to them. They would love to introduce you to them. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you. We thank you that you are an everlasting father, that you don't die, that you don't leave us, that you never forsake us, that I can take you to the I could be in the lowest point in the earth, and you're there. Those men that were in the Kursk submarine, they you heard their prayers. Someone could be on Mount Everest, and you'd still hear their prayer. Father, we are never too far from you. You are never so far that if we cry out to you, you don't respond. You are like the Father in the in the story, Lord. That if we take one step towards you, you come running to meet us, Father. And I just pray, Lord, that this Christmas season wouldn't go by without people coming to know you, Father, that if they're tangent or if they're on the on the fence with you, Father, I pray that you would cause them to come back to you, Lord, that you would redeem them, Lord, that you would bring them back, that you would rescue them, Father. We know that's your heart, Lord, that you're not some ogre that's looking to smack them around and punish them. No, Lord, you are gracious and compassionate and full of mercy, Lord, and that you are, your mercy's in you every morning, Father. I just pray that you continue to, over this Christmas season, just keep bringing us closer and closer to you, Father, and that all of us would come to know you, Lord, that all of your children would come home. In Jesus' name, amen.